Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 13th, 2008. And we ended uh, talking about the movie, this new movie called The Bloodline, and how that relates to the Da Vinci Code. And we're talking more about the Da Vinci Code right now to give some reiteration to the first part of the movie about Bloodline. To see how this deception is being perpetually uh, put out there to deceive the masses. I'm going to reiterate the last three questions and go into this next part uh, in regard to Da Vinci's art. Okay? Is there something called the priority design? How did it get this information in regard to this hidden occult art that's in particularly the Last Supper? And what does it have to do with the legends called the Holy Grail? Well, we're going to talk now about the secret gospels, which are a critical part of the lie. At this point, the book raised a very interesting and false issue. Now, this is the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. That there are secret gospels which have remained buried for centuries. Okay, now we've talked a lot about this in the past as well. These are the ones that totally attack. And these are the reasons that if these did exist when you know the Bible was being put together, obviously they would have been rejected because this is, these are, there's so much heresy in them. These Gospels contain information that Mary Magdalene was a favorite of Jesus and that Jesus kissed her repeatedly on the mouth. These secret Gospels. Okay? I don't even like saying that, but that's what they, that's the lie that's perpetuated. <clears throat> one of the interesting ideas, now see, if you can just even prove that one thing, you can pretty much throw the Bible out the window. Because then people start to think, well, Jesus was this and Jesus was that, and he really wasn't a great man, and this and that. One of the interesting ideas is that she was both married to Jesus and had his child. After the crucifixion, she fled from Jerusalem with the help of her friends and sailed to what is currently known as France. She, is, she and the child went to France. These descendants married in the French nobility, formed the Priory de Zion. While there is no evidence of a child or bloodline in any historical documents, many feel the evidence can be found in legends that have circulated in western France for centuries, such as the legend of the Holy Grail, which is the whole King Arthur thing, okay, which a lot of people are obsessed with, particularly in the occult. Now, don't be surprised, though, if supposedly the Priory Design comes out with official documentation, supposedly proving, you know, all of this. Here's another thing I just thought of. We talked about this weeks ago when I, when I talked about this whole alien agenda and the whole UFO and the whole disclosure thing. One of the main things that these ascended masters, particularly the Antichrist, says that they're going to be able to do when they make their appearance is actually show us recorded history as it occurred going back to any date we want to see. Now, you know one of the first places they're going to supposedly take us if they come out with this as a deception, is they would take us to the real history of what happened with Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine if you if all of this stuff was going down, like I reiterated before, and then all of a sudden you had supposedly actual footage from the time of Jesus Christ proving that supposedly the scriptures are totally distorted and are a total lie? Again, you, you want to make sure your faith is grounded in the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ because the deception that's coming is going to be like any, unlike anything you've ever known. Now, I can't be dogmatic about what I just said, but just imagine, worst case scenario, 
Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That's a good saying. So, fleeing persecution, a boat with no oars, shows up on the coast of France, carrying the, quote, Holy Grail. Thus, the New Age adherents believe that the Holy Grail was just not Mary Magdalene, but the child himself. In other words, Mary Magdalene was the receptacle for the seed of Jesus Christ. The seed himself was the actual start of the Merovingian bloodline, which these other nobility can trace their lineage back to. New Age scholars believe that this sacred vessel which contained the bloodline of Jesus was Mary Magdalene herself. This is the reason Leonardo da Vinci painted Mary Magdalene at the side of Jesus in the Last Supper. She was the true Holy Grail as the sacred child which was later married to the Merovingian prince would have come from Mary's blood. The Holy Blood in the title Holy Blood Holy Grail refers to the bloodline created when Mary's child was married to the prince. Was married to a prince. Who knows who it was. Now, Brown shifts back to the secret society of the Priory de Zion. The Merovingian bloodline traces back to Jesus and his descendants. Mary Magdalene and the child she bore. The bloodline was threatened by the Catholic Church, so the truth had to be hidden. The Priory de Zion was assigned to protect the information about this bloodline. See, they were these wonderful people working behind the scenes against the mean old Catholic Church. At this point, you might ask the question, why couldn't the truth just be publicly told during the medieval ages? Well, orthodoxy would not permit it. It would not tolerate a married Jesus. The truth was too dangerous to tell openly. As the church had always reacted with violence. Of course, the church referred to here is not the genuine Christian church, but the Roman Catholic Church. Now let us discuss the secret gospels in detail as the entire New Age movement, including Dan Brown, clearly plays much credence in these most unbiblical accounts. Hidden in Egypt for centuries, these secret Gospels have recently been discovered. Do they tell us anything of the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene? The Christian Bible has large holes in the story of the life of Jesus. Or the, is that what they're trying to say? It has large holes in this. Oh, okay. In other words, the early years most likely is what they're trying to telegraph to us there. The church ordered all secret Gospels destroyed and did not and did destroy all but one copy. This one copy remained hidden in Egypt about 50 until about 50 years ago. The Megamantic scrolls described an alternative history of the story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. If the church went to such great lengths to hide and destroy these other Gospels, it must be assumed that the story they told would be very explosive. The names of several other Gospels are named, supposedly all a part of this copy discovered in Egypt 50 years ago. These names are the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, should be the Gospel of the Lie, the Gospel of Philip, and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, my personal favorite. And you know the one I like best is the Gospel of Judas Iscariot. That, that, there really is one. They discovered that one too. And in that one, basically it says that um, supposedly Judas Iscariot wrote it. Now, that would have been a really tough thing because he would have had to have wrote it in like a day. Or, or how how long was it till he like killed himself after he betrayed Jesus? You know that would have been a kind of a rough one to write. You know he would have really had to have the the uh, the typewriter going at full speed. But yeah, and that one he he portrays himself as uh, actually 
he worked with Jesus in order to betray Jesus. He was actually the only disciple that was really right with Jesus. Because Jesus knew he had to be betrayed. And so he contracted with Judas Iscariot to do this, to sell him out, you know, for the 30 pieces of silver, the whole nine yards. And it was all prearranged through Jesus ahead of time. That's how he portrays himself. <laughs> so anyway, it's just crazy. Now, these Gospels that I just mentioned are called the Gnostic Gospels. Now, remember, the word Gnostic means hidden occult knowledge. So, these Gnostic Gospels had special knowledge of Jesus, not permitted for the masses. The parchment that says Jesus was affectionately kissing Mary Magdalene is damaged. The scroll that says Jesus was kissing Mary Magdalene on, and then it ends, could have been kissing her hand. Okay? But supposedly, this made his disciples very jealous. I, I almost don't even like talking. This is so stupid. Really. But, this is how they're portraying this. The implication that Jesus was kissing Mary Magdalene inappropriately, the Gospels of Philip call Mary Magdalene his companion. Further, in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene is presented as a very powerful figure in the early church movement. And, you know, that really would line up with the rest of the Bible as far as, you know, the women being in subjection, these types of things. So, in other words, these are corrupted, leaven, devil counterfeits. Okay, that's all they are. That's why I never made it into Scripture. When Peter asked Mary Magdalene to tell the disciples anything the Savior told her, Mary responded, now this is from these one of these, I think the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. She says, I will tell you that which he hid from you. She then tells Peter that Jesus appeared to her in a vision after his death and spoke to her. Andrew objects and saying, he does not believe her story. Peter then interjects, surely Jesus didn't love a woman more than us. Mary then cries and says, Peter... Do you think I made all this up? Oh, that was profound. So that's one of the quotes from one of these Gospels. Oh, I mean, I'm convinced now. I mean, where do I sign up? Hook, line, and sinker, you know? Then it says, How did Mary Magdalene fall from favor? Mary was a victim of a power struggle between men and women in the early church. Oh, it's a whole feminist thing now. As the church became dominated by men, the male hierarchy, Mary Magdalene posed a threat to this male leadership. The male-dominated hierarchy was threatened. Oh, I bet you Oprah would love this. How different our perception of Jesus would have been if he had a wife. After all, history books are written by... Um, now, in other words, they go on to say that, you know, history is only w written by the winners. In other words, the winners of a particular conflict. Which is pretty much true. During a recent interview, Dan Brown was asked, Why do you think your novel has touched such a nerve? His answer, the mysteries of spirituality, of the origins of our religions, are topics that resonate at a very deep level. Boy, isn't this profound. At the very core of the human psyche, in fact, whether you agree or not, the topics are now on the table, and we are talking about them. Topics for centuries which have been taboo. That's a quote from Dan Brown. Mary is presented in these secret Gospels as a very, in a very powerful way. You get to talking only of Mary Magdalene, you lose the more important point that 20 centuries ago, we had a very great religious leader named Jesus of Nazareth, who broke through barriers of cultural bias, who had among his disciples and his closest friends women, who didn't just go around to get the tea and sweep up after the boys left. She was very much an apostle. 
a companion, a spokesperson for Jesus, and his gospel as in his gospels as any of the men were. Oh, is that so? Wow, I guess you know. You know, they've got it. We're just finding out the truth now. Even though the Bible says that in the end times, God is going to send the strong delusion. And that, you know, many are going to be deceived, if it were possible, even the very elect. Of all times, we should be on our guard for false information. Now is the time that we should be on guard. Going further with this article, it says, Thus the Da Vinci Code rewrites history, substituting the humanist Gnostic gospel, which glorifies the goddess, Mary Magdalene. Every attempt is made to convince people that Jesus did not really die, but he got out of the tomb, went into the village, married Mary Magdalene, had children by her, and that Mary finally fled to France, where she gave birth to a girl who was later married, at, married a Merovingian prince. Since the no- nobility of Europe, Eastern Europe and Great Britain can all trace their bloodline back through the Merovingian kings. Any one of them can trace their genealogy back to Jesus if they can plug into the daughter of Mary Magdalene. Now, let's talk about Gnosticism according to Satanic doctrine. The name Gnostic means wisdom or knowledge and is derived from the Greek Gnosis. The members of the order claim to be familiar with the secret doctrines of early Christianity. They interpreted the Christian mysteries according to pagan symbolism. Their secret information and philosophic tenets they concealed from the profane and taught only to a small group of the specially initiated people. Now, where did I get that quote that I just read? I got it from The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manley P. Hall, 33rd Degree Mason. Salt referenced, in other words. So, in other words, Manley P. Hall, one of the most highest... Freemasons in the last hundred years is basically telling us that, you know, this secret Gnostic uh, wisdom was actually only taught to this few initiated people regarding the true origins of the Christian religion. This article goes on to say, Jesus taught his principles quite openly, though. Listen to him explain. In other words, Manly P. Hall saying, no, no, it was only taught to this select few. Because, see, these occultists have to always feel special. They always have to feel like we're the ones that have the special occult knowledge, and you can't have it. Because we're the smart ones, and you're the dumb ones. And Lucifer has chose to reveal to us these things, and you can't have it. And we rule over you, because you're the sheeple people. I'm translating here, okay? Basically, this is what he's telling us. While Jesus taught things openly, John 18.20 says, Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Remember, the word of God is of no private interpretation. It's another verse. In other places, the Bible declared that his gifts were freely given, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? End of quote. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. End of quote. However, the kingdom of Satan is not freely given. Rather, the secret doctrines comprising the devil's kingdoms are always hidden from the public, given only to the select few. For this reason, these nefarious doctrines have always appealed to the inherent snobbish nature of prideful man. Exactly. Exactly. 
since most natural leaders are very proud of themselves, this appeals to their pride. That they will know things hidden from the profane or the average person. This, this technique has been successful in attracting unredeemed men to secret societies in every era of time, probably since the beginning of time. Here, Masonic author Manly P. Hall has just told us that Gnosticism, concealed from the profane and taught to only a small group of those specially initiated persons, this fact makes them an occult secret society before you ever get to their blasphemous doctrines. Notice also that the Gnostics claim to know secret, secret doctrines of Christianity. So see, we that study the Bible... We're really, we've really missed out on the boat for centuries. See, it's actually these occultists, these high-level occultists, actually know the real truth about Christianity. Okay, so therefore they feel as though they have, you know, the preeminence and the power over us in that regard too, and they feel better than us. Always Satan entices the unsaved with promises that Christianity contains secret doctrines, as this is the way of getting around the bold truth of the Bible. Just as Satan whispered in the ear of Eve, did God really say that, or yea hath God said, so he is whispering in the ears of the members of these secret societies, did God really say that? Or saying to the elect few, these are doctrines hidden from the masses that God knew he could not reveal to the common people. Therefore, Satan's trying to make them feel special and better. And you know what? It evolves around pride. And remember, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Okay, so who does God consider? The Bible says, To this man will I look, to him that is of a contrite spirit, that is humble and trembleth at my word. That doesn't sound like somebody who's full of pride to me. Okay? But, again, it appeals to these, these prideful people. Thus, occultism has secret doctrines and secret gospels, and the secret years of Jesus Christ, all given in order to circumvent the true meaning and teachings of the Holy Bible. Now, how do we know they're false? Because we know the Word of God is pure, we know the Word of God is true. And if we have another gospel, the Bible says if, if, if any man, even an angel, come preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. And it says it again in the next verse. Okay? If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's not the Word of God, and it's of Satan. And these other Gospels, although there may be some things that partially confirm things in the Bibles, it's got so much other leaven, and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, we can throw, in this case, the baby out with the bathwater. Particularly when you start talking about the canon of Scripture. Finally, notice that Gnostics interrupted true scripture according to pagan symbolism. In other words, they reinterpreted key Christian doctrines according to the, their satanic pagan beliefs and doctrines, which is a dastardly practice known as syncretism. Their symbolism thus reflected these pagan beliefs. God expressly forbids mixing his truth with Satan's error. Such a practice is called, is referred to as leaven or false doctrine in the Bible. And remember, the Bible talks about in Galatians 5.9 that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Okay, Now, leaven is also warned about as sin, but it's also warned about as false doctrine. Jesus even warned his disciples, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is 
They're false doctrine, okay? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees had brought in all kind of extra-biblical doctrine, just like the Jews have done today with the Talmud and the Kabbalah, all these extra-biblical interpretations of things that many times diametrically oppose the Word of God. And guess what? It's like any other cult. If you have, like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or these types of things, and, and they've got all of their books, okay? Mormons, you know... Yes, they use the King James Bible. But then they also have the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon. Guess what? When you have the invariable contradiction that will occur in the Book of Mormon, or the Pearl of Great Price, or some apostle, or whatever, that says something, guess what always ends up taking preeminence? These occult, these secret doctrines, like the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price, they always take preeminence over the Bible. Because there's going to come a point where you always have to pick and choose. That's why you only want to go by the Word of God. Okay, you don't want to add anything to it or take anything away from it. You just want to go by the Word of God. The Apostle Paul fought hard against the Gnostic heresy in the epistles because he realized that their doctrine will pervert the whole conception of faith and will most definitely mislead the whole church. You will see a good example of this reality in our discussion here. Without the Gnostic doctrine, called the Merovingian bloodline, the Antichrist can't arise. Particularly to the Jews, he can't arise. Thus demonstrating how important Gnosticism was and still is to Satan. Now let us look at, at go back to the uh, 33 degree Freemason, Manly P. Hall, for more information about Gnosticism. He says in the same book, Simon Magnus, the magician of the New Testament fame, is often supposed to have been the founder of Gnosticism. End of quote. Now, this is hot news indeed. Simon Magnus was the founder of Gnosticism, which really isn't the truth. Gnosticism existed way... You can go back to the ancient Babylonian mystery religions that, that Nimrod and Semiramis started to find Gnosticism. But he's... But Manly P. Hall says this. We meet Simon Magnus as he is thrust into a conflict with the apostles Peter and John. In fact, Simon was a sorcerer, a practical most likely a practicing Satanist, and when he saw the apostles performing miracles, he knew he could not perform. He assumed that they were performing these miracles by exercising a higher degree of occultism than he knew. This was the same error the Pharisees made when they viewed Jesus performing his miracles as they assumed he was drawing his power from Beelzebub, one of the chief prince of, princes of Lucifer. And that's done in Mark 3.22, Luke 11, Matthew 12. Jesus condemned this idea so strongly he created a new unpardonable sin. This was the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, which is essentially attributing uh, something that, you know, at that particular time Jesus Christ did via the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure, according to the Bible. The miracles that he did were done um, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did these things, so when they said that he does these. He 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 did these miracles through the power of Beelzebub. That was blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that was considered the impartable sin in the Bible. Now, after Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized in Acts eight nine through thirteen, he offered to buy the occult knowledge by which the apostles were performing their miracles. To which Peter boldly replied, "Thy money perish with thee." Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. 
For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Acts 8, 20-21. Therefore, even though Simon had believed and was baptized, his heart was still not right with God. Many Bible scholars believe Simon's repentance and professional belief was never really genuine, but only undertaken so he could get closer to the apostles to learn the source of their secret powers. Tradition states that Simon went back to his old ways after failing to secure the source of the apostles' power. Now this is from a guy named Adam Clark's commentary. He said, however, favorably this or any other scholar may speak of Simon, he is generally supposed to have grown worse and worse, opposing the apostles and the Christian doctrine, and deceiving and deceiving in many cities, providences, and providences by magical operations. Now again, I can't verify that, but this is just a historical tidbit there. Now this may be correct, for here we see the most authoritative Masonic author of the 20th century, Manly P. Hall, stating that Simus Magnus was a sorcerer, was the founder of the secret societies known as Gnosticism. Again, that's a little bit of conjecture there. They're saying a lot of evil things about Jesus Christ, too, that aren't true. Okay, Not to compare Simon with Jesus, but I'm just saying it's an example. So again, I don't get too dogmatic about that type of information. Now, let us examine some of the tenets of Gnosticism so you can appreciate the terrible manner in which it seeks to damage the precious, simple faith that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. You will see how terrible the influence of one man can have on one who gives himself up to the power of the evil one. For Simon Magnus developed a very slick counterfeit Christianity, creating doctrines that will enable the Antichrist to arise. And again, that's a little bit of conjecture there, but he may have had something to do with it. Um, then he goes on to say, truly some men have great power beyond their grave. And that's true. I mean, you look at guys like Aleister Crowley. You look at guys like Nimrod. I mean, look at the, you know, the starting of the Babylonian mystery religions. Samaramus, Tammuz, power beyond the grave. See, this is why it's very important what you do in this lifetime, because the seed that you plant in this lifetime will typically continue to bear fruit even after you're gone. So, that's something very, very important to think about. Now, we're getting now to the end times where, you know, that's going to come to an end as well, but it's very important to keep that in mind. So, again, we can go back to these Gnostic doctrines. Another quote from Manly P. Hall. This is, again, from the book The Secret Teachings of All Ages. He says, The Gnostics were divided in their opinions concerning Demergis, or the creator of the lower worlds. That's who Demergis was. One group of Gnostics was of the opinion that Demergis was the cause of all misery and every evil creature. Some Gnostics were of the opinion that the Jewish god, Jehovah, was Demergis. This concept, under a slightly different name, apparently influenced medieval Rosicrucianism, which viewed Jehovah as the lord of the material universe rather than as the supreme deity. Now, can you imagine the blasphemy inherent in this doctrine? In this belief, the Gnostics fulfill Bible prophecy, um, beliefs that the Antichrist would present to the world. They place the Almighty God, Jehovah, into the ranks of an inferior God who just created the lower worlds. What does the Antichrist prophecy foretell? Okay, now let's go to Daniel 11.36. Okay, so let's read Daniel eleven thirty six and verse 37. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. 
Okay, this is the Antichrist here. He's going to magnify himself above every god. Remember, he's going to go into the temple and proclaim himself to be God, which is the abomination of desolation that takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation, the midpoint of the three and a half years. And then it goes on to say, And he shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined. And remember, he's going to prosper. The only reason he's going to prosper is because the Lord has given him this short time. Remember, God's sending the strong delusion. He knew this was going to happen. It's prophesied in Scripture. The book of Revelation and Daniel clearly outline this. So this isn't taking God by surprise. Then in verse 37, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now, this is how we know he's going to have to trace his lineage back to King David. Because the God of his fathers, this is implying the Lord God, okay? Or at least he's going to appear to be able to trace his lineage back to this, okay? Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. Now this is indication that he's most likely going to be gay. Which, if you think about it, if you were going to have the most defiled creature that ever walked the planet, he's not going to be heterosexual, <laughs> everything about him is going to be defiled. Nor the desire of women, nor regard any god. For he shall magnify himself above all. He is going to be the quintessential essence of pride. Of course, the Freemasons teach that this very same thing about Jesus, except they go one step further to say that an inferior god, inferior god created Jesus. Listen to Albert Pike. Now this is from... You know, Albert Pike, the Confederate War General, the highest ranking Freemason of the, of the 1800s, wrote Morals and Dogma, which is like the Bible for the Freemasons. He's the only Confederate War General with an actual statue of himself inside the city limits of Washington, D.C. Remember, Confederate War General. Okay, they, remember, they honor their own. This is from Morals and Dogma, page 563, from the tab... Chapter Teachings of the 26th Degree, The Prince of Mercy. Remember, there's you know 33 degrees they go through, and I believe he's got a different chapter for every degree. Now, another thing about this Morals and Dogma, I had a guy ask me this the other day, because I had quoted from it, and I had quoted from the esoteric version of Morals and Dogma. There's two versions. There's an esoteric, and um, what was the other one? Exoteric. The exoteric is the, tip, is the typical one, if you do read it, which most Freemasons have no idea what the, even the exoteric is. And it's kind of like the Bible of the Freemasons. But the exoteric is the watered-down version. The esoteric one, which is incredibly, incredibly hard to find, is the one with the really secret, heavy-duty occult knowledge. See, even within occult societies, they hide the really heavy-duty occult knowledge from the lower levels. That's why Albert Pike says, in Morals and Dogma, in the esoteric version, that we say and that you repeat this to the 30th, the 31st, the 32nd, and the 33rd degree Freemasons, that we worship a god that essentially is Lucifer. Lucifer is our god. Okay, And the quote from that is in a tract that Chip produces. Unfortunately, they do not produce... I don't think they produced the track anymore at all. It was called The Curse of Baphomet. And it was a really good quote where it had Albert Pike in there actually saying this, and it gave you, you know, the whole, the whole, where the quote came from and the whole nine yards. And it showed a picture of Albert Pike too. Scary looking dude. But, anyway, going, going further, um, this is from Morals and Dogma, from Albert Pike, communicating 
movement to chaos. She, mother of the living, produceth Lao Daboath, the Demergis, the agent of the material creation, Labadoath, to become independent of his mother, and to pass for the supreme being, made the world and man in his own image. The image of Labadoath reflected upon the matter became the serpent spirit, Satan, the evil intelligence, Eve, created by the Labadoath. So, again, typically they write in very, very convoluted, almost poetic ways. It's very, very hard to interpret. But once more we see an instance in which the Freemasons prove their identity prove that they're identical to all the satanic mystery religions, just as Pike boasted. Um, they teach the doctrines of what they call demergis, and they teach other astonishing things against the God of God. They're basically saying that Creator God was the serpent spirit. Okay? And they, they, they try to lower him as much as possible. Further, Albert Pike goes on to brag about the Christian Gnostics. After converting... See, this is why you can have a group like the Freemasons, and you go in there and they say they're a Christian organization. But see, they're a Christian Gnostic organization. Okay, where they're giving the secret occult knowledge, and you have to take all these blood oaths and all these other things. They're trying to intermingle Christianity, not only to make it more palatable, but to also say, listen, we have this real occult Christian knowledge, but you can only get it at the really, really high levels. So another quote from Pike on page 542 of Morals and Dogma. There is no doubt that all Gnostic sects had mysteries and initiation. They all claimed to have a secret doctrine coming to them directly from Jesus Christ. Different from that of the Gospels and the Epistles and superior to those communications which in their eyes were merely exoteric. Now remember I just used the word esoteric and exoteric? The esoteric is the true, hidden, occult knowledge. What they're saying is the Bible is just exoteric. Meaning it's just the periphery stuff that's been given to the laity or the masses. The esoteric stuff, is only which was actually given by Jesus Christ to only his inner circle, and passed down through these secret gospels and these secret societies, that's the real meat. That's what they're saying here. This secret doctrine they did not communicate to everyone, and hardly one in a thousand even knew of it. Again, that makes them feel more special too. Now, let us return to Manly P. Hall for one more astonishing thing that the Gnostics believed. Another quote from him says, To the Gnostics, the Christ was the personification of Noahs, the divine mind and emanated from the higher spiritual aeons. He descended into the body of Jesus at the baptism, and left it again before the crucifixion. The Gnostics declared that Christ was not crucified, as this divine Noahs could not suffer death. But that Simon, the Cyrenian, offered his life instead, and that the Noahs, by means of its power, caused Simon to resemble Jesus. Oh, give me a break. I mean, you talk about grasping at straws. Well... This teaching is most definitely Antichrist, for it separates Jesus' physical body from his spirit. Here it's called the Christ Consciousness Spirit. Returning to Albert Pike, we see that free, the Freemasons teach the very same false doctrine, 
Jesus the man, according to this leaven, did not realize he was the Messiah until his baptism. When the dove descended from heaven, that he was the symbol of the Christ consciousness, had come upon him and realized he was the Jewish Messiah. However, this Christ consciousness spirit left him before crucifixion. Once again, this is the Antichrist teaching. Now, if we go to John, 1 John 4.3. Okay, so let's start at verse 1 here. 1 John 4.1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's what we're talking about today. Now, how do you try the spirits? Well, the, the best way to try the spirits is comparing it to the Word of God. That's why everything that I do on a weekly basis here always goes back to, okay, how does this line up with the Word of God? Is it confirmation of the Word of God? Or is it diametrically opposed to the Word of God? If the Word of God is your standard, then, you know, it's easy to do that. Remember, the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You have to make the Word of God your foundation in order to, to do this properly. Verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, when it confesses that Jesus Christ come in the flesh, I think there's a little more to that. There's a little more to just confessing they come in the flesh. It's actually what's in, what is imparted and what is encompassed in that statement also is that believing that if Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you believe his doctrine as well. Okay? Remember, the devils believe and tremble. Okay? So... What we want to do is if they really believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're going to believe the Word of God as well. Because remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. You know, So Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Well, we just saw a lot of that just now with these quotes from Albert Pike and Manly P. Hall. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Where have ye have heard that it should come, and even now it already is in the world. Now this was this was written back, you know, a long, long time ago. Spirit of Antichrist was already there, but now it's really coming to a fever pitch. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now that's a great verse to memorize and to repeat to you, particularly if you're feeling overcome by this type of information. And then it says, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. See, what we're talking about here with these quotes, they're of the world. They're not of the Bible. They're diametrically opposed to the Bible. These blasphemous quotes from Manly P. Hall and Albert Pike and these occultists. But see, the world hears them. The world's going to hear the Da Vinci Code. It's going to hear the word, the, the movie Bloodline. One of the main reasons that the world wants to hear this type of information is because the world does not want to have to be accountable to a holy God. If you really boil this down, if Jesus presented a really easy, nice, fluffy way out, the world would want it. But because he doesn't do that, and because narrow is the way which leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it, people don't want it. That's the biggest reason. Then it goes in verse 6, We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. This is why when you try to present this information to people, when you try to present truth to people, 
and they put up, you know, the hand, no, I don't want to know it, I don't want to hear anymore, you, you know, I, you're, you're crazy, you're a fanatic, or whatever, because they're not of God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for them, that they get saved, but the preaching of the cross to them that are perishing is foolishness. And for the most part, even the giving out of truth, like this today, to them that perish, is going to be foolishness too. Because the prince of this world has blinded their eyes that they, that they don't see. So don't be upset or whatever. I'm not reaching anybody. I, I don't this and that. I mean, just do your best. As God opens the door, do what the Lord has called you to do. Not everybody can do exactly like what I'm doing or somebody else or whatever. We're part of the body of Christ. Everybody has a different function. Can the finger say to the eye, depart me, I have no need of you? No. The part of a body, every part, is critical. And you know that if you, you know, let's say you lose an index finger. Well, you probably didn't really appreciate that index finger until you lost it. <laughs> so, that's why, you know, I, I, I try to encourage people that way. So, we are of God, he that knoweth God, heareth us. We are of God, he that knoweth God, heareth us. It's a very critical thing. Remember, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue on my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. God is going to send a strong delusion that they would all believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth. Receiving the love of the truth is an earmark of a Christian. I have a really hard time with people that call themselves born-again Christians totally closed to truth, to obvious truth like this, that are totally, you know, warm in a pew week after week, thinking that, you know, everything's going to get better and better and better, that they're not going to have to suffer a lick, that their faith isn't going to be tried, they're bearing no fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, nothing, nothing there at all, no. They're not being chastened, even though they're out of the will of God and they're doing nothing for the Lord. Hmm, that's kind of funny, because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, and if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. These, see, these are the earmarks of a Christian. Now, I'm just going over a few. Are they humble and contrite before the Lord? Or do they think the Lord's the big guy in the sky, their heavenly bellhop? Well, these are earmarks of a Christian. And the Bible says, you know, check yourself to see whether you be in the faith. So, I, you know... I wouldn't want to be in that position. We need to be humble and contrite before the Lord. Pray for the fear of the Lord in our life. So we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. If I'm up here putting out truth on the internet, and I have somebody arguing with me over the most elementary of things in regard to some issue, like today what we're talking about, and they don't hear me, or they don't hear truth, not just me, but anything. Or, or, or they want to start me giving me all these extra-biblical interpretations of what the Bible really means. I have to really question if they're ever saved, if they've ever been saved. I really do. Not because I think I'm Mr. Smarty Pants and I have the preeminence. But if you're of God, you're going to be receptive to the truth. It doesn't mean you might not kick and scream at first. You know, it doesn't mean you're just, you know, if you've been, you know, deceived for a long time and all of a sudden you hear truth and, and it's kind of traumatic to you. But you're going to eventually come around. You're not, you're not just going to want to have a desire to stay, in, to stay in deception and to be deceived. 
Then it goes on to say, Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. So, those are just some good things to, to bear in mind. Uh, in conclusion to this article, it says, Now you firmly know that Gnosticism is clearly the spirit and the doctrine of Antichrist. Keep this in mind as you contemplate the fact that this book and this movie positively quotes the Gnostic Gospels in their strong desire to prove the Merovingian blood genealogy that will allow the Antichrist to arise. So, everything that we said today is ultimately very, very important to understand, at least to understand the concept of, in order to arm yourself with this knowledge, to guard yourself against the deception that's coming. Thus you can see the importance of Dan Brown's book and the movie by the same title, The Da Vinci Code. People by the billions have to believe this lie before the Antichrist can arise to deceive many, yea, the whole world. The world stands at the cusp of the appearance of the man of sin. And I'm going to go ahead and end there for today. And um, we'll go ahead and close it out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord God, in heaven. We praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. I do pray, God, that your truth would go forth, Lord God, wherever your word is being preached, wherever your truth is going forth worldwide, that you would bless it, Lord God, that you would set the captives free, that you would give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. Lord God, that the fear of God would be upon us, upon the body of Christ, upon the unsaved, Lord God, that need to get saved. I pray, Lord God, that fear, that godly, holy fear, would drive them to repentance. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are nothing apart from Thee. And I do pray, God, for Your humility, and that we would have contrite spirits before Thee, Lord God. That You would use the body of Christ mightily, Lord God, not for ourselves, but for Your glory for the sake of the souls that need to be saved, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form, Lord God, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would cleanse all of our sins, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.